I'm your co-host Rebecca. And I'm your co-host Rach. And welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 11, The Desert. With Appa having been captured by sandbenders and Aang despondent as a result, the gang struggle to escape the desert. Meanwhile, Iroh and Zuko continue to evade capture from several people, including Shen Fu and Master Yu. Very good. I put them in the summary after you forgot to mention them <laughs> last <Thanks> week. <laughs> Listen, I'm only concerned about A. That's fair. That's completely fair. <laughs> Before we get into this episode, we had actually a couple of really lovely reviews this week on Apple Podcasts. So thank you very much to people who left reviews. Yes, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We are only going to read out one of them this week because we're saving the, the other one for next week. So I would like to read out the review from Brit Horse Lover, who is Brittany on Twitter. Uh, we've chatted with Brittany a bunch. She does amazing paintings of Avatar. Uh, and she also left us a lovely review. And the title of this review is a reference that I have heard, but not in context. <laughs> and it is Flamio, sir, Flamio. And she says, I love this podcast so much. Rach and Rebecca do a great job recapping each episode and also providing insight to the characters and plots of the show. I've listened to a lot of Avatar podcasts that didn't know everything and get things wrong. And as an Avatar fan myself, it's frustrating when I know more than the hosts. I never have to worry about this with Ember Island Sayers. They do their research and really take the time to look into the themes of the show. I also love the perspective of having a dedicated fan and a first-time watcher watching the show together. The fun segments they do, like Iroh's flip-flop and Sokka's poetry society, really <laughs> make this podcast unique from the rest and always make me laugh. You can tell that they really care about the show and making the podcast enjoyable for everyone. Also, the Aang appreciation is abundant. There can never be too much Aang love. Please listen to this podcast, you won't regret it. Finally, stay flaming. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brittany. That's so sweet. <laughs> that is super sweet. And it's funny that she said that she's listened to a lot of Avatar podcasts that get things wrong. Because I remember, you know, even before we started this podcast, I had thought about maybe doing a Gargoyles podcast. Mm. And the reason why I wanted to do a Gargoyles <laughs> podcast was because I listened to another Gargoyles podcast where they had no idea what they were talking oh, about. no. And I was so frustrated. And you know, like, everyone gets things wrong sometimes. We get things wrong sometimes. Yeah. But I think that there's, you know, if you're going to do a podcast about something, there's a certain amount of effort you can put in to doing a little bit of research. Yeah, I agree. And it's really important to me to get things correctly <laughs> with this. Mainly because it's my favorite show of all time, and I really appreciate all of the effort that the showrunners and the writers put into it as well, and I want to respect them too. <laughs> right, right, exactly. We really appreciate you pointing that out, Brittany, and uh, thank you for such kind words and for being such a loyal listener to the show. Yeah, she actually painted the last scene in Avatar for me for Katang secret Santa exchange that we did on Twitter and I'm so excited to get it in the mail. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love the colors of it. Really, really stunning. She's extremely talented. 
Yeah, go check out her stuff on Twitter. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, so with that... Do you have a poem this week for Sokka's Poetry Society? Oh boy. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a poem. It's very weird. Okay, well, were you tripping on cactus juice when you read it? I tried to imagine myself <laughs> tripping on cactus juice when I wrote it. <laughs> Neither of us drink, so. <laughs> or do drugs, just putting that out there. Yeah, I've literally never. <laughs> I've never done a drug in my life. <laughs> that is true. I've also never been drunk. So I was just trying to channel soccer, really, mm -hmm. with this poem. It is from his perspective. So <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to have to try and get through it without laughing. Okay. Here we go. Have you ever seen a circle bird? Like Yue, they don't need Appa to fly. How do they survive out here in the middle of the ocean, above the water that put out the fire on Toph? Why did I think the cactus juice would quench me? Must be my natural curiosity. Mushy, I'm glad you're so giant and friendly. <laughs> that's it, that's the end. <laughs> That is totally a poem that he would write. <laughs> well, I literally, like, I, I went through, I found this place that had the script of the episode, and I went through and I picked out all of Sokka's weird lines. <laughs> and I was like, how can I turn these into a poem? And that's what happened. <laughs> End of the episode. We're done. <laughs> you can't, you know, get any better than that. Thank you. And our listeners will hear a very edited version of that poem because I stopped and was crying with laughter about three times through it. I think with that, we can get started with this episode. All right. So we're going to start with Iroh and Zuko this time. Yes. We start with Iroh and Zuko on their ostrich horse. Yeah, it's pretty much theirs at this point. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking throughout the episode, like, oh, it's the same ostrich horse that they stole, like, ages ago. It's already had a lot of adventures. Yeah, I'd say. But Iroh is in pain, question mark? Maybe? Yeah, I do question his motives here. <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem like he was being super genuine. I wrote that he does have some of that Fire Nation drama, clearly, in him. Very much so. <laughs> because it just seemed like he wanted a break, really. Yeah, he probably just wanted to stop for tea. Always. I mean, who can blame him? <laughs> stopping for tea is extremely important. Unfortunately, their stopping for tea becomes a confrontation with everyone's favorite Fire Nation elite squad. <laughs> the, the Rough, Rough Rhinos. Rhinos. <laughs> I didn't realize they'd come back. I had forgotten that they came back, so... Yeah, I, you didn't mention it during that episode where they appeared. It was Avatar Day, I guess, when they appeared. Yes. So, yeah, they do come back very briefly, but enough for us to learn a few things about them. We learn that they all have different weapons. Mm-hmm. And also that they sing. I gotta wonder if these guys are, like, Ember Island player rejects or something. Oh, maybe. That's why they're so angry. I auditioned for Love Amongst the Dragons and I didn't make it in. <laughs> is that an actual name of a play? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh my god, amazing. 
Yeah, that's probably the source of their anger, I feel. Iroh tries to convince them to have some jasmine tea. I mean, it's a good suggestion, but they don't really seem to be in the mood. No, not really. And even though jasmine tea is very good, yeah, as you said, doesn't quite work out. And instead, they have a fight. Yeah, I said, who would win in a fight? A team of skilled specialist bounty hunters or one angsty boy and his injured uncle? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, it turns out that the angsty boy and his injured uncle actually do pretty well. (laughs) They do. And Iroh especially, I was surprised by, I mean, not surprised, but I thought it was cool that he was still a total badass, even though he was injured. Mm-hmm, yeah. Still kicking butt and taking names. Oh, yes. The <laughs> Iroh way. And drinking tea. Heck yes. <laughs> so we have this just brief little fight sequence, and then they escape. Uh, Iroh mentions that the rough rhinos are kind of like old friends. Right. Because even when they first arrive, he knows who they are and he knows everything about them. Zuko has this line, which is, Too bad you don't have any old friends that don't want to attack you. To which my response was, well, you don't even have friends, Zuko, so... (laughs) You just have people that want to kill you in general. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. I feel like Iroh's the kind of person that just, like, made friends with literally everyone in the Fire Nation. You could talk to anybody who lived there and they'd be like, oh yeah, Iroh's my friend. (laughs) Oh yeah, I totally agree. And even not people in the Fire Nation, I feel like, unless he was, you know, during his period where he was a general, but, like, he's just a very personable person. He is. Who would not want to be his friend? Yeah. I want to be Iroh's friend. Uh, Zuko, on the other hand, has some issues. But his comment does give Iroh an idea. Yeah, so they head off on their ostrich horse. And then it cuts to the oasis where we were last episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, Misty Palm's oasis. And we see some more familiar people show up at Misty Palm's oasis. Yeah, Shinfu and... Master Yu have finally returned. I guess they're somewhat competent because they managed to make it that far. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah, we were all eagerly awaiting their return, I'm sure. <laughs> and <laughs> she says with the utmost of sarcasm. <laughs> they are talking to a guy who I don't remember if he was also in the previous episode. But it did make me wonder where Hot Bartender was. He's just bartending, man. (laughs) (laughs) He's living the good life inside where there are fans to keep him cool. Oh, he doesn't need fans to be cool, Rach. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Basically, they come across uh, some posters while they're hanging out at Misty Palm's Oasis. And in addition to the Aang wanted poster... (laughs) There is now a Zuko and Iroh wanted poster as well. Yeah, that was kind of cool to see. There was also Zhang Zhang on there and his, I forget his friend's name. I feel bad. Oh, Aragorn. Yes. The guy we ship with June. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, it did occur to me that the person who makes the wanted posters in the Fire Nation has been getting a lot of gigs lately. He has been, man. He's... He's got a rough job. (laughs) Well, either he has a rough job or he's making bank. That's true. Uh, Or maybe both. 
Yeah, lots and lots of posters. They look at these posters, and then that is important later, because they then go into the bar. They're looking for Toph still. She doesn't have a poster, right? She doesn't. Which is kind of surprising, but maybe she'll get one in the future. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, so they recognize Zuko and Iroh, and... They're like, oh, well, we can make a pretty penny off of these two. And they're right here, so we don't have to go out looking for them like we do with Toph. Right, because they spot them. Uh, Shinfu is kind of dumb throughout most of this episode. But Master Yu, I think, has a few brain cells. I mean, Shinfu did recognize Zuko without his ponytail, so that's something. But he also, when he was talking to the guy, he told him that Toph was wanted dead or alive. And Master Yu was like, that's not accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I remember watching the first time around and I thought he was just bluffing. But now I just really think he's sincerely that stupid. (laughs) I mean, judging by what happens in the bar later, (laughs) I think he really is that stupid. (laughs) It cuts to... Zuko and Iroh, and they're in the bar, and Zuko's complaining again. (laughs) I feel like that's all he does this whole episode. That's all he does most of the time. I mean, yeah, sometimes, but this time it was really getting on my nerves for some reason. (laughs) He is really whiny in this episode. And especially because, like, Iroh is doing cool things in this episode, so it just stands out that he's being really whiny. Well, it's like, also, these are far from the worst circumstances you've been under, so why are you complaining right now? That's true. You're in a nice bar. You could get, like, a mango (laughs) drink and enjoy yourself. You're just chilling and hanging out with your cool uncle. Like, why are you- why are you mad? (laughs) Why are you mad, bro? (laughs) I just can't imagine Zuko chilling out for even a second. that's true. They're there ostensibly because Iroh is looking for one of his old friends. Mm Mm-hmm. And he spots someone and he's like, ah, yes, I think this is the person I'm looking for. And then he goes over towards this person and Zuko thinks that he's just going to play pie show, so he's annoyed. (laughs) As usual. And then he brings out the returning lotus tile. Yes. (laughs) I liked your note that you you didn't realize it would come back in such a huge way. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it's varied a lot with the way things have come back, right? Like, Mm. sometimes they come back as, like, a random thing that uh, Momo throws at someone. (laughs) Right. And, like, blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't realize that the lotus tile would be so important, but uh, it turns out to be kind of a code in a way, right? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Because he presents it to this gentleman, and the gentleman recognizes him, and we kind of get the first inklings of this idea of this secret society. Yes, very cool. I like it a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is very cool. Unfortunately, as I said in my notes, Shinfu remains a dummy. Instead of just playing it cool, he causes a scene at the bar. Mm, yeah, so I did think it was kind of cool that Master Yu talked about having patience 
which is really what Toph's earthbending is about, like listening and waiting. So maybe she did learn a little something from him. I, I won't give him too much credit. But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true, though. Maybe, you know, at least the, the basics mm. she kind of picked up and ran with. Yeah, the initial teaching that he gave her. I mean, he can only teach Toph so much. He's pretty much a prodigy, so... <laughs> Right, right. But yeah, I thought that was cool too. And unfortunately, Shin Fu clearly didn't learn that lesson. No. Rocks for brains type thing. Clearly, clearly. Um, I kept getting him confused with the boulder for some reason. Like, I kept thinking he was the boulder, and then I was like, no, no, that's a different guy. Different guy. If it was the boulder, he'd be like, the boulder needs to capture the people in this bar. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, he didn't do the third person. Yes. (laughs) narration they're able to outsmart him pretty easily obviously and in large part thanks to their new friend well it's an old friend for (laughs) Iroh but well actually I don't think this person particularly is an old friend but belongs to a society that I think is made up of his old friends that's what I understood anyway Mm -hmm. yeah and they're able to kind of escape with his help yeah so he kind of starts a riot sort of thing. He calls attention to the fact that Zuko and Iroh are fugitives and there's a bounty on their head. And because everybody in this bar is kind of a seedy character who wants money, they all start fighting over Zuko and Iroh. And I was like, how dare they destroy the hot bartender's bar? Rage is standing out for hot bartending. <laughs> he got a whole person thrown at him in this episode. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so rude. Yeah, I think one of the sandbenders got thrown at him. <laughs> Extremely rude. Um, I think he should go and open up his own place with Hot Torch Guy. Oh my and... gosh, that would be too much to handle. Wait, but that would be kind of cool. They could do, like, flaming drinks and things. Yes, yes. See? It's a good idea, I'm telling you. All the himbos together. Amazing. The Earth Kingdom himbos. (laughs) Yeah, so everything kind of starts going crazy, which is what Master Yu said was going to happen. Right. (laughs) And then Iroh and Zuko end up uh, leaving as a result. And this is when we get a little bit more information about this society that Iroh belongs to. We don't get, like, a lot of information about it, but we do kind of establish that. It seems to me that it's based on, like, the Freemasons. Hmm, okay. And I don't know a lot about Freemasons, although I think my granddad may have been one, or may still be one. I don't know. (laughs) Don't say that. Then we're, we're going to have to kill people who know. Oh, no. I literally, the only word I have on this is my dad said something to me one time about my granddad being a Freemason. And I was like, okay. what? This is like the plot to National Treasure. <laughs> it is the plot to National Treasure. Yes, you are correct. Your dad just copied off of the movie. It's not really real. He wants you to go steal the Declaration of Independence. My dad is British, though. That's what you think. (laughs) (laughs) But what I know of masonry, or being a Freemason, is what I got from Wikipedia. 
<laughs> and also national treasure. Um, but they are basically a kind of group of fraternal organizations, and they've existed since, like, the end of the 14th century. So Wikipedia says that they trace their origins to the local fraternities of stonemasons that from the end of the 14th century regulated the qualifications of stonemasons and their interaction with authorities and clients. Freemasonry has been the subject of numerous conspiracy theories throughout the years, <laughs> which is true. And as I say, I don't really know that much about them, but they are just like a secret society. And I think nowadays they don't really do anything. But, you know, it's cool to be in a secret society. Yeah, totally. Um, and the equivalent seems to be this Order of the White Lotus, which we hear the full name. I did want to look up like what a lotus means in terms of symbolism. And I found that in Buddhist symbolism, the lotus represents purity of the body, speech, and mind as if floating above the murky waters of material attachment and physical desire. And I thought that was cool. That is cool. Yeah. I think, like, masonry generally had a lot to do with, like, I don't know, I think these organizations generally have something to do with religion, usually. So that kind of fits with, like, spiritual, you know, qualities and, like, mm -hmm. being above the earthly things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very cool. And he gets taken to this, I guess, like hideout type place. Yeah, I think it's like masquerading as a flower shop sort of thing. That's right, because of how they escape at the end. Yes. <laughs> he has like a code that he says to the person on the other side of the door. He is let in, but Zuko is not. So Zuko can complain about it. He would complain even if he got in, let's be honest. <laughs> he would yeah he'd be like this secret society is really boring and <laughs> how is this gonna help me capture the avatar oh my gosh but yeah he has to wait outside and we don't get to see what goes on when iroh goes in so mm -hmm. that part is remains a mystery to us yeah we will definitely find out more about this secret society later which is cool yes i'm looking forward to learning more about that and then Iroh comes back out and I laughed so much at the way Zuko just goes into this fighting stance as soon as Iroh opens the door. Did you watch the vine that I sent you? I did, I did. It was <laughs> hilarious. Rate sent me a vine of this guy who gets scared and does like a karate chop move. <laughs> we'll put it on Twitter so you can see. Just call it Zuko after Iroh comes out of the White Lotus meeting. <laughs> So accurate, so accurate. Also, fun fact, the uh, door that opens, not the door that Iroh comes through, but I think it's the other door. We got the door sound effect again that I've <laughs> mentioned before several times. So I'm clearly, you know, thinking that this must be just stored in a memory bank somewhere yes. and it just gets used every time they need a door effect. <laughs> door sound effect one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they come out, and uh, Iroh has some news for Zuko. Yeah, so basically they've decided to go to Ba Sing Se, which is pretty much the hot place right now. I feel like everybody wants to go to Ba Sing Se. <laughs> yeah, as we find out in the other plotline, <laughs> I think everyone's going to end up there. Yeah, and Iroh says because it's the safest place in the world from the Fire Nation, and I'm just like, Oh, buddy. 
Oh no. Yeah, I have been spoiled accidentally once on Twitter about what happens to Passing Say. So. <laughs> you don't know how we get there, though. That's the important part. <laughs> I do not know the journey. You're right. Uh, just the destination. So, yeah, they are heading to Passing Say, but first they have to try and escape. Right, because Shinfu and Master Yu are still chilling outside of this florist shop looking for them. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. They go into, like, a back room, and then the two idiots, what are they called? Uh, <laughs> we should just call them the two idiots from now on. <laughs> Actually, Toph calls them dunderheads, I think. Oh, oh, this is good. So we should yes, just call them the dunderheads from now on. I hope they don't appear too many more times because they're kind of boring. No offense, guys, but like as villains go. Well, yeah, they're just like very incompetent, you know? They're not threatening whatsoever. Not at all. At least they have a function here, I guess, of moving the plot forward, but... Yeah. Then they go into the back room and... Oh, no, there's nobody here. How is that possible? <laughs> yeah, and then we get a little scene of... Iroh and Zuko peeking out of these flower pots being transported to, well, we think they're being transported to Ba Sing Se. <laughs> Seems likely. Zuko and Iroh, masters of disguise. Oh, what was their code name? Junior and Mushi. <laughs> Junior and Mushi, masters of disguise. Uh, and that's the end of that storyline. <laughs> this is going to be the goofiest episode, and it's like, such a bleak episode of the show, but <laughs> we cope with humor, I guess. That's what I was going to say. This is how we cope. And I feel like I cursed everything by starting out with my poem. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that poem was just a preview of things to come. <laughs> Let's go then to the gang who have a rough time this episode. Yeah, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, so we start out with them and they're just kind of looking onwards in the desert and they're all separated and looking in different directions and logistically that makes sense because they're looking for Appa at this point. But I also think it's a good metaphor for how splintered they are in this moment. Yeah, it's probably like a foreshadowing. And Aang is, I think, the most fractured in terms of himself and the rest of the group yeah definitely because he is furious starting from the very beginning of the episode mm -hmm. and he's taking out his anger on everyone else which is really hard to watch because i feel like he doesn't do that very often when he gets angry it's normally pretty justified and Sometimes he'll even take out his anger on himself, but for him to blame Toph for what happened is just not cool. As we talked about last episode, she really wasn't at fault in this case. She tried her best. She did what she could. Yeah, that's why I wanted to give her MVP, because Aang yells at her in this <laughs> I feel really bad for her. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't push back very much as well. I saw that you mentioned that in your notes. Yeah, which is very interesting because 
you know, she totally is the type of person to do that as evidenced by episodes in the past. But I think she does feel guilty and she is sad and she knows that Aang is hurting right now, so... Yeah, um, and I think, because he accuses her of not caring about Appa because she, like, never liked him or whatever, and I think she's probably also a little hurt because I think she did care about Appa. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they didn't have as much time to bond as the rest of the gang, but I do think she really liked him. (laughs) Yeah, she was just sitting outside chilling with him. Yeah, that was so cute. (laughs) Yeah. One quick thing that I wanted to mention is that, was it just me, or did the animation for the characters look kind of weird in this episode? They're very, like, gangly, and I'm kind of wondering if that was a choice. Mm. It it was kind of strange looking, but I don't know that it was on accident. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) Yeah, I wondered that, too. Although, I also thought that Zuko and Iroh looked a little bit weird. Oh, okay. So that's what made me think that maybe it wasn't just like a choice, but it was definitely worse, I think, um, for the gang. And it might have had something to do with the fact that like there was a lot of sand blowing around and Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, I bet that was hard to animate. Let me actually look up which studio did this episode because it alternates between a couple of studios. So hold on. So DR Movie did this one and JM Animation does the next one. Yeah, well, I also wondered, because I know that this episode um, and the last episode were like a double Mm. feature when they aired, and the same is true for the next two episodes, so I wonder if maybe they were a little rushed. Anyway, it was just something I wanted to bring up that I noticed. If anyone else has any further insights, please feel free to share them with (laughs) us. But back to Aang, very upset, lashing out at people, um, and meanwhile, Katara is trying to figure out a way for them to get out of the desert. Yeah, she's kind of taking charge in this instance. And Aang decides that he's going to fly off and try to find Appa. So she basically tells everyone, okay, let's start moving, let's start walking, because we need to get to Ba Sing Se, because we're the only people who know about this eclipse coming up. Yes, yes. Um, I also like that Sokka was wishing that they were able to ride on Wanshi Top. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. Where is the logic? Sokka, he almost just killed you. <laughs> this is before he drinks the cactus juice too, so. Right. And they head out, they go in one direction, and goes in the other direction. Yeah, and they're already struggling in terms of dehydration, and all they have in terms of water is Katara's water bending water. <laughs> yes. Which is pretty funny when they ask for a drink. I think it's Toph who asks for a drink, right? Mm-hmm. She says, okay, I'll give you some. And she gives them like just a little tiny bit. Tastes kind of swampy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny that it like had the taste of battling the foggy swamp people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Sokka is not satisfied by this small (laughs) taste of swamp water. So he spots a cactus in the middle of the desert, and here I start preemptively giggling over this scene, even though I've seen it a million times. I definitely rewound it and watched it again after the first time I watched it, (laughs) because 
it is hilarious. And I even I'd seen gifs of it too, and I knew it was a thing, but it was still funny. <laughs> yeah, this was back when forums were a thing. Sokka on cactus juice was my avatar and my signature on an avatar forum. So. Amazing, amazing. I love I love this so much. Pretty much from the moment he first drinks it, he starts to trip. Mm-hmm. And we get like weird music in the background and his eyes go really <laughs> wide. Yeah, and Momo has decided to join him on his trip. Oh boy, and Momo just starts gliding around in circles. Yep. So now poor Katara has to take care of her brother, who is high, and Toph, who is dehydrated and can't see. (laughs) I felt so bad for Katara in this whole episode. I I was just like, she's trying so hard. She is. She has the only brain cell left in the whole group, basically. (laughs) And Aang is flying around in the meantime and can't find anything. So he's just getting increasingly frustrated. Yeah, he starts crying again, and it just really breaks me, because I can really feel his anxiety in this moment, and it reminded me of one time when I thought Mira got outside. My cats are indoor cats. Mira is one of my cats, I should say. (laughs) And I thought she got out, and I just had this horrible pit in my stomach, but I feel like this is a hundred times that because not only is Appa missing but he was also captured by people and Aang has no idea what these people are gonna do to him or how they're gonna treat him yeah it's awful it's hard to even imagine especially if you're somebody who you know has a pet as part of your family it's I don't even like to think about it honestly I know yeah it's I just try to relate to him in some way because He is so angry, and really, he doesn't act like this in any other episode, so I'm just trying to get into his headspace, even though that might not be a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's, as you said before, it's understandable. That doesn't mean it's justified what he's doing, Mm -hmm. but you can definitely understand where he's coming from. And he gets so frustrated that he ends up doing an airbending move with his staff in the sand that makes this big mushroom cloud thing, Mm -hmm. which looks like a nuclear explosion, honestly. it really does. I think that was probably on purpose, that they probably made it to look like something really devastating to show how he's feeling, you know? Yeah, definitely. At least Sokka thinks it's cute and (laughs) wants to be friends with it. It's a mushy giant friend. He's just so funny in this episode. Uh, And meanwhile, Katara, again, is trying to figure things out. Um, Aang comes back and he's being very despondent. I think she tries to comfort him and he just sort of rejects it, which is really, really upsetting because she's always the person that can get through to him no matter what he's going through, but he won't even let her in this time. And he's really kind of just talking about giving up because he doesn't think they're going to make it out alive without Appa. Yeah, that's really sad. That is extremely sad. It also relates to, I guess, the end of the episode. Mm, Yeah. Because she is able to kind of bring him back at the end of the episode as well. Mm -hmm. 
she thankfully as i said before she has the one brain cell in the group <laughs> and she actually comes up with a plan and she says okay we travel at night because it's cooler at night we'll make it out of here she's determined that they're gonna make it out of there even without upper yeah she is just so amazing in this moment like her resilience and her will to survive and using her energy to encourage everyone else is so good and i just love her <laughs> Yeah, me too. She's really great. And she's the person who, throughout this whole episode, she has, you know, all the ideas. Because the next thing that happens, so they go to sleep, right? Oh yeah, we didn't mention the circle birds, though. <laughs> so we get this kind of foreboding shot of birds circling above them. And I think it kind of flags up the fact that these things are going to come back. Yeah, that's true. They kind of put them in there as, like, Chekhov circle birds. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and then they do go to sleep. And then Katara, again, being her amazing self, wakes them up not long afterwards because she's like, okay, it's nighttime, we should travel now at night. She realizes, you know, they have these resources from the library that Sokka stole in the last episode. And <laughs> they have a chart of the stars so they're able to follow the stars to get out of the desert. Yes, Sokka is very offended by <laughs> her insinuation that he stole things. He accuses Momo of ratting him out, and then Momo starts crying. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. I was like, oh my god, no, poor Momo. <laughs> These two really shouldn't have drunk cactus juice. Yeah, of all the people, I feel like they were the worst two to be high on cactus. I agree. <laughs> They're already so chaotic. <laughs> Thankfully, they have Katara, who has another good idea, which is uh, they see a cloud, and this is kind of sad at first because Aang thinks it's Appa. Hmm, yeah. And uh, Sokka thinks it's Yue. <laughs> <laughs> well, he sees the moon, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I liked your note about um, how it's sweet how he's always thinking of Yue. It's very sad, but it's sweet at the same time. I don't know, it just makes me think, like, even if no one else is talking about Yue, then Sokka will forever continue her story in the future. Oh, bless. Yeah, and it's interesting, because we talked about in the Swamp episode how he doesn't really talk about her very much. Mm. And it's interesting how when he's high... <laughs> His inhibitions are down, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That kind of makes me... <laughs> I don't know. You know then that he's always thinking about her. I mean, he did say that in the Swamp episode, that he thinks about her all the time. Oof. Yeah, that's a little knife to the heart. Unexpected feels from Sokka being high on cactus chairs. <laughs> they see this cloud, um, and then they realize that it's not Appa. But Katara gets excited because she's like, oh, it's a cloud. Clouds have water in them. <laughs> so Aang flies up and... Gets as much water as he can, and it's really not that much. And this is really when he lashes out at Katara, and it breaks my heart. Yeah, I thought that even the tiny amount of water that he gets from the cloud, it kind of reminded me a bit of the fortune teller when they were cloud bending together. And how when they're on the same page and they're working together, they can do these really amazing things. But when they're, 
you know, separated like they are right now, not physically, but emotionally. Mm. I think that uh, it's harder for Aang to be his best self. That's definitely true. Yeah. And she also doesn't push back against him. And she's another person like Toph who would normally be like, okay, quit it. Like, (laughs) that's not okay. But at this moment, she knows they can't afford to fight. And I think she feels his pain as well. Ugh, Katara. I think I'm giving away my MVP pick. I think we already (laughs) knew that. (laughs) At least Aang is able to help them when, not long after that, Toph trips over something. Yes. So they find one of the sandbenders, sand sailors, and Aang kind of unearths it with his airbending. And they're able to navigate around the desert with this sand sailor which is really good because now they're moving a lot faster than they would be on foot yeah and they have something that's like appropriate for the terrain so that's really nice and they have ang who can like airbend so they don't even need to worry about wind or anything yes (laughs) and it's while they're on the sand sailor that they spot i just thought it was so cute how excited toff gets Because they see a rock, and she's just so happy. Well, they realize that there's a compass on the sand sailor, and it's pointing in a certain direction. And it's not going north, but the magnetic pull of the rock is taking them to the center of the desert. And so they climb the rock, and Toph makes a rock angel, which is really cute. (laughs) That is really cute. But then... (laughs) Oh, boy. So they go kind of inside the rock. Yeah, there's a tunnel. And then Sokka notices this, like, slimy stuff on the walls. And at this point, he's like, oh, I think the cactus juice is starting to wear off. And he decides to lick the slimy stuff on the walls. And at which point, I was just like, Sokka, I like that you have this natural curiosity. He says that to Katara, right? He's like, I have a natural curiosity. I think that's one of the reasons why I like Sokka, because he's kind of like a scientist in that way. I think that's a really important thing for a scientist, is to have a natural curiosity. But don't lick the science, Sokka. <laughs> so I posted this meme in our notes that was... I came across this, I think, on Tumblr ages ago. I don't know who wrote it originally, so I'm sorry. But it's a meme that I love, which is called Can You Lick the Science? And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically it goes through like each of the sciences and determines if you can lick them or not. So chemistry, for example, it says, no, do not. (laughs) Geology, sometimes needed, sometimes dangerous, which I think is a good one for this episode. Yes. And then my personal favorite, because I am a zoologist, in zoology, science licks you. So, yeah, if you are interested in that, just Google Can You Lick the Science, and I'm sure you will appreciate it. I think people have expanded on it, too, so people just, like, added a bunch of other sciences as well. Uh, Sokka, don't lick the science. And he says that it tastes disgusting when he licks it. Yeah, that was not a wise decision on his part. (laughs) And Katara yells at him, rightfully so. Yes, yes. (laughs) And then it was as he was doing this that I was like, wait... There's, like, sticky stuff on the walls. It's like a cave. Oh. Oh. Oh, no. (laughs) The buzzard wasps have made their return. Yep, I was right, but I wasn't happy about it. (sighs) I hate them so much. They're so awful. I don't have anything against buzzards in particular, 
I think actually, you know, buzzards and vultures, they're all kind of good because they, you know, generally tend to eat dead things. Yeah, they're useful. Yeah, but wasps I freaking hate. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of animals that I hate, but I do hate wasps. Talk about the real murder hornets. It's the buzzard wasps. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, them and mosquitoes I think could just disappear. (laughs) That would be nice. Yeah, and then they start attacking the gang. And to make things even worse, they do something terrible to Aang, who has already lost Appa. They take Momo, and I just... It makes me want to scream. Like, that scene just horrifies me. Yeah, it's just, I have no words. And then Aang goes after the buzzard wasp, obviously, because he's going to try and save Momo. Yeah, which he does successfully without hurting the buzzard wasp at first. But then as it's flying away, he kills it, which is the first time that Aang purposefully takes a life, even if it is just a buzzard wasp. I mean, he is a vegetarian and he believes that all lives are sacred. So he's so blinded by his anger that he's not even thinking rationally and this is a very very dark moment for him yeah i wondered when i saw it if that was the first time he'd like taken a life and i guess i was right and yeah you even see his eyes go dark i think that you know clearly we're seeing that this is not a good place that he's in mentally and the Fight kind of goes on for a little bit longer. Katara is yelling instructions at Toph, which I thought was funny. (laughs) They actually make a really good team. Yeah, I love that Katara said to her at one point on your left, because it made me think of Captain America. (laughs) So I I think that Katara is Captain Southern Water Tribe. (laughs) (laughs) They manage to kind of fend off the buzzard wasp for the most part, except... (laughs) Except then the sandbenders show up. Fun! They cannot catch a break. (laughs) No, no, they really can't. And then the sandbenders are mad at them because they think that they stole the sand sailor that they found. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. I do like that they gave the sandbenders a little bit of depth. Like, they're not straight-up villains. We can't excuse them for taking off. (laughs) But they are really desperate people trying to get by. And I did think the dad was respectful, even if his son sucked. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was nice to give them a little bit of depth. And even to show, like, the little conflict between them. You know, the dad at first, he kind of has a reason to be mad. But then once they're like, we didn't steal it, he's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's fine. But then the trouble comes when Toph realizes that she's heard one of the voices before and she's very good at recognizing voices she heard the son say to put a muzzle on appa Hmm. yeah i did want to briefly mention how the dad seemed to change his mind when they said you know they were traveling with the avatar and i think there is this kind of generational divide going on here because The younger son doesn't seem to have any respect for the Avatar or care. And I think it's just another uh, consequence of Aang 
the avatar not being around for a hundred years and the older people sort of respect his position whereas some of the younger people are like who the heck is this and why should we care (laughs) oh that's really interesting i hadn't thought about that it does make sense yeah that's kind of my interpretation of what's going on there I feel like it's a little bit like the royal family, you know, at least in the UK. I feel like a lot of people who are from older generations feel much more respectfully towards the royal family than people who are younger. Mm. (laughs) And they sort of think that it's a bit ridiculous. (laughs) I feel like that's justified, though. (laughs) No, I agree, yes. And, you know, unlike the royal family, the Avatar actually does stuff. Right, yeah. And he's kind of like this bridge between the physical world and the spiritual world and he's sort of meant to be this beacon of hope for people so Mm -hmm. he's not a (laughs) rich piece of you know what I'm not gonna say (laughs) all the royalists who listen to this podcast going to be really annoyed I just think it's similar in the sense that different generations have different ideas about things sometimes And, you know, it could even come from a good place sometimes for younger people, from a place of like, you know, we can't rely on the Avatar because the Avatar's been gone for so long. Right, yeah, for sure. They have this mentality of, well, we need to look out for ourselves. We can't just rely on some messiah that we've never laid eyes on. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Once Aang hears Toph say that the sun, you know, was behind capturing Appa, he goes a little crazy. Yeah, it's really, he finds out that they muzzled Appa, that he's just like, I'm done. (laughs) Yes, yes. I was thinking, like, Toph, why did you decide to tell him this? I feel like withholding information might have been the best choice in this moment. Maybe, although I think she was also mad because she didn't manage to save Appa. Mm, Yeah, that's true. So I feel like maybe it was a little bit of her projecting as well. Like, she wanted Aang to get mad at this guy. And he gets so mad that he actually goes into the Avatar state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of runs away. Even Sokka and Toph are like, okay, we gotta get out of here. But Katara holds steadfast and walks up to Aang and takes his arm and brings him out of the Avatar state and I start sobbing. (laughs) Aww, I thought it was really beautiful because I thought she was really acting as like a tether to him Mm. in that moment. She is grounding him back to himself and, you know, this realm that they're in, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think it just makes their whole conversation in the Avatar state all the more potent and important because she had that line, for the people who love you, watching you be in that much pain and rage is really scary. So I think she's really thinking about the amount of pain that he's in and she's feeling it as well because they both start crying. Yeah. Yeah, I really think she doesn't want him to regret what he's done out of anger. Right, and this is after we've just seen him kill, you know, a buzzard wasp. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where the episode ends, so it's on a kind of a cliffhanger, sort of? Yeah, a little bit. One thing that we didn't mention was that the sun says that he no longer has Appa, 
Oh, yes. He sold him. And he said he's probably in Ba Sing Se. <laughs> so we're also going to Ba Sing Se. <laughs> I mean, they were going there anyway, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it is the capital of the Earth Kingdom, so. It does make sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the next episode, I presume that's where they'll be headed. Yeah, we'll talk about that soon. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, is there anything else we want to say about this episode? Nope, I'm just glad it's over with. <laughs> Me too. I was telling Rage, actually, before we started recording the podcast, I think this is probably my least favorite episode of the season so far. Yeah, I mean, I, that's understandable. Yeah, I just felt like, apart from soccer tripping on cactus juice, <laughs> there wasn't really a lot of cool stuff that happened. And I guess the Order of the White Lotus stuff is cool, but that's pretty small. It was not my favorite, but there are definitely really good moments in it. I just think it's really depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> you know, like, even in some of the really sad episodes, like The Deserter... Or even, like, the Siege of the North, where Yue sacrifices herself. There's still so much beautiful symbolism and really interesting things going on in this one. It, it kind of just felt like they're stuck in the desert, and it's really bleak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not really a lot of respite apart from Sokka. Yes. <laughs> we should pick our MVP. I mean... <laughs> We all know who it is. Clearly the only person with a brain cell <laughs> in this episode. It's going to be Katara, right? No offense to Toph, because she does have brain cells. She just can't use them properly when she's in the sand. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But Katara was the one that kept everyone together, and she's really the reason why they were able to make any kind of progress whatsoever. Yeah, she's the one who came up with all the ideas for them to keep going. She was the person who, as you say, you know, focused on keeping everyone together. And even at the end, she's also the person who brings Aang back. I feel like nobody else could be MVP, really. No. Katara, you rock in this episode, and I love you. <laughs> I love you, Katara. You're amazing. So, that was easy. <laughs> Shall we go on to our playlist? All right, let's do it. I went kind of silly for my song. <laughs> I picked the song A Horse With No Name by America. Uh, and I think I actually first heard this song in an episode of Friends. Really? It's very briefly in an episode of Friends. I think it's when Joey is like filming something in Las Vegas and he like drives out to the desert and they play this song. It just, it popped into my head, and then once it did, I was like, okay, I guess this is my song. <laughs> it's so catchy. <laughs> it is extremely catchy, and I do realize that, so the, the chorus of the song is, I've been through the desert on a horse with no name. I do realize that they don't have a horse, <laughs> but we could think about it metaphorically. Yeah. As like, they don't have Appa, so they've lost their horse? I don't know, you can <laughs> do something, but... There are actually other lyrics that I do think fit quite well, because, for example, it says, On the first part of the journey, I was looking at all the life. There were plants and birds and rocks and things. <laughs> and there was sand and hills and rings. The first thing I met was a fly with a buzz and the sky with no clouds. The heat was hot and the ground was dry, but the air was full of sound. 
And then there is another line, which is, After nine days, I let the horse run free because the desert had turned to sea, which is like, you know, Sokka thinks the desert has turned into a sea. In general, I feel like it has desert-type vibes. If nothing else, it's extremely catchy. What about your pick, Rach? All right, so I feel like I had this picked, like, weeks and weeks ago. (laughs) The title is a little on the nose, but it's Cruel Sun by Rusted Root, who's one of my favorite bands. I love them. Uh, Famously did Send Me On My Way, which everyone knows them for, but they do have other songs, people. (laughs) I was just about to ask if that was them so yes I'm glad that uh, I was correct I feel like that song gets so overplayed and everything (laughs) it's a good song though. it is really good they did a song called Cruel Sun and it's actually about war which is very interesting but I felt like the lyrics fit really well there see the bloody faces lifted to the sky do you want to run to a future left behind I remember asking why there lies aggression, separation when there should be love, power plays while the people die, let it rain and protect us from this cruel sun. Yeah, it's a little on the nose. Not like my song last week, which was kind of a reach. (laughs) The song is also eight minutes long, so I feel like it perfectly encapsulates the feeling of being stuck in a desert. It's like a really good eight minutes, though, you know? (laughs) Well, I feel like if you listen to that song and then you listen to A Horse With No Name, then you really get the sense of, like, what it's like to be stuck in the desert with (laughs) Aang just being, like, really desperate and then soccer tripping on cactus juice. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, All right, so that's done. And now we have an episode coming up next week, which... I actually realized, so we're recording this on a Wednesday, so this is technically our last episode of the year, although it's going to go out next year, but we're recording it (laughs) at the end of the year. And our first episode that we're going to record in the new year is going to be next week's episode, which is very exciting, because I'm extremely excited about this episode. Guess who's back? Oh, I'm so, so, so excited. (laughs) I am counting down the days till I can watch this episode. I... I'm extremely invested in the return of, oh, what's her name again? I forgot. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Suki's coming back. Suki is coming back, baby. (laughs) Ah, I'm so excited. One weird thing that I noticed was that on Netflix, this episode is called The Secret of the Fire Nation. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's actually combined with The Drill, which is the next episode. And I don't know why they did that for that particular set of episodes and they didn't do it for <laughs> the desert and uh, and the one before it. I don't get it either. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. But the title card says, like, The Serpent's Pass. And we're going to watch them separately, I presume, right? Yeah, you're going to want to pause in between those two because there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you are watching on Netflix, I don't know why they did that. Apparently they also did it with another... Oh, they also did it with the Guru... And the Crossroads of Destiny? Yes. Yeah, they also combined the whole finale into one episode. Oh. So it's like four episodes in one. Amazing. But yeah, let's just focus on the Serpent's Pass. So do you want to give me any more previews, Rach, other than Suki's coming back? Basically, they're trying to get to Ba Sing Se, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I figured. And... 
there are a few other characters that come back, like the pregnant couple that we saw a few episodes ago, and one funky boy named Jet. <laughs> oh, no! I don't know why that was the first adjective that came to my brain, but... It's quite exciting, actually. I mean, I know you don't like Jet at this point, but I like the character development that is given to him, and it's nice to see some of these characters come back. And basically, what's happening is we're all trying to get to Ba Sing Se, but there's a problem because there are so many refugees that want to get into the city that they're going to have to find some kind of alternative solution to getting there. Right, because that's what Iroh said, right? That it's full of refugees. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically why they're going, because they'll fit in. Nobody Mm -hmm. will care if there are two more refugees. Okay, so it sounds like there's a lot going on, then, with all these characters coming back and everything. Yeah, there is. But it's really good. I rewatched it. I was like, oh, this is is such a good episode. (laughs) I'm extremely excited about it because I'm mostly here in all things for the shipping. So (laughs) (laughs) that's only partially true. Yeah, I'm already excited about like what song I'm going to pick for next episode. (laughs) I know you've already picked out your song. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I want to find a really good Suki and Sokka song for next episode. With that... If you would like to follow our antics um, on Twitter, um, including Rach is going to post a fun meme for you guys, (laughs) then you can find us at Ember Sayers. We post graphics of the MVP and other random stuff. And actually, I think I'm going to start posting up some of our reviews as well so people can check those out on Twitter too. We also have an email, emberislandsayers at gmail.com, where you can send us any questions, comments, suggestions, or reviews, and we will read them out unless you don't want us to. (laughs) We are available on multiple platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, or even if you're not, then it would be lovely if you could leave us a rating and a review, because that helps other people find the podcast. And we've already had a couple of those, as we mentioned before. We'd love to get more, um, and we will read them out on the podcast as well. And with that... I am going to tell everyone to stay tripping on cactus juice. <laughs> stay flaming, but not as flaming as Toph's head. <laughs>